it to episode 44 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. Today on the program, Jason Santa Maria returns as a guest in his new role as design director of Slate. We're going to discuss a recent redesign and rebranding of that publication and try to figure out how to manage change both internally and with your users. Jason, thanks for being back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really good. How are you doing? You doing <laughs> I'm right? doing all right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I was um, I was walking down the street today typing notes into my iPhone for the show, which is a terrible idea, and don't do that. Um, <laughs> I was like, Every time I, I do that, I end up tripping on something. I'm, yeah, just running into tourists and things like that. But I'm, so I'm typing away. Then I get here, and I look at my notes, and Autocomplete had changed your name to Jason Mariachi. Mm, that's a, that is one I have not heard yet. <laughs> my, I thought, hey, we're talking about rebranding, so maybe you, you might consider my with Jason Mariachi. My uh, one of my utility bills here. They've mangled my name so badly that they combined my wife and my name together, and it's now three names. It's it's uh, it's Jason Santa and Marborn. Maria or something like that. It's, 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 it's this huge, I don't even know how someone could get there, but that's right. It's, you know, it's interesting with all of, I've seen these, these posts recently where people like pull down all their information from Facebook now that you can do that and they go in and look. And it's one thing that like, we have all of these companies collecting these hordes of data on us entirely. Another thing that like so much of it is just wrong, (laughs) you know, like I am not interested in archery, but they absolutely believe I am. So maybe you don't realize it yet. Yeah, that's right. I will be. Yeah, they're anticipating. Anyway, uh, I appreciate you having me back. I, uh, I, as I was reading out this this uh, intro here, saying uh, a new role as design director at Slate, I realized like it's that's not actually true. You've been there a while, haven't you? Yeah, it's uh, coming. Not quite two years, but it's getting oh. closer. Yeah. My goodness, that's fantastic. Um, how's it been going over there? It's been going really well. I mean, we've got a ton done since <laughs> since I got there. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, from the the rebrand and the redesign and lots of lots of inner org, you know, stuff and team stuff and um, kind of getting everyone together and working a lot more collaboratively. It, it's just been lots of lots of fun stuff that you know I've learned over the years, especially when I was like a type kid when you were you know leading us around mm-hmm. doing different things as a team. Um, I think I brought a lot of that same stuff over here. That's great. That's great. That's cool. Let's let's back up a little bit um, just for. Uh, folks out there who might not know of how you got to where you are now, you um, uh, it kind of starts, I think, a little bit with Happy Cog and uh, Jeffrey Zeldman and that that crew back uh, a bunch of years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and then where, and and after that, uh, after Happy Cog, I I sort of bounced around um, freelancing for a while uh, before um, kind of taking on you know a couple of bigger clients and doing a small studio of my own called Mighty. Um, oh, but, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right about that same time, I feel like I hooked up with you and the Typekick gang and started working on that. That's um, right. And there was a list apart and a book apart. That was kind of mixed in there at the same time, right? Yeah, lot, sort of- lots of side projects. A list apart being one of them and a book apart, which is still you know ongoing and I'm still very um, much involved with. Oh, yeah, um, We're just about to publish our, like, I think we're up to like 30 books now. Um, <laughs> just keep... Keep coming out with new ones. And I'm just going to say, from like looking at the stack of uh, a book apart titles on my shelf, um, what a testament to a design system. Like, if you're at oh, the right? 30 of them now, and, and how well all that holds together, I'm, you know, 
uh, fawning you with compliments now, but I <laughs> think like, seriously, you put so much effort into like, how is a whole system of books going to work? And, um, and it really has. That was such a gamble too. I, I was, I was hoping we would do more than one book. <laughs> and I, I, I was planning, you know, if we do more than one book, this will look really good together. Um, but we just didn't know at the time. And, and there is also the, you know, the part where you're all future authors, you're going to say to them, by the way, you have no creative control over the kind of anything. <laughs> Of the the look of your book, right? Like no cover, no. Um, that's, that's yeah. That that actually panned out to be good too. A lot of people don't want that kind of control. They want to be. They actually like being part of this larger library of stuff. You know, this this kind of like bank of knowledge, which I think works works to our benefit. And but at the same time, a fair few of your authors are designers, so I would imagine that it does come up from time to time. At least, like, let me pick the color or something. Right? It does. There have been a few requests that <laughs> that I had to politely decline. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, uh, yeah, and then you know we did the type kit thing together, which was a tremendous collaboration. We had a bunch of fun with that. Um, uh, and then you went and did a uh, startup with Mandy Brown and. David Yee, yeah, um, David Yee, called uh, Ethan, edit- editorially. Ethan yep, and, yeah. and, and Ethan as well, editorially. And that was um, uh, essentially the avenue that brought you to Vox. Is that right? That's right. And then we we ended up at Vox Media, and I was there for about two years, um, working on some of the the leftover, um, kind of using editorially as a as a starting point for a new system for. Uh, they're like CMS and story, story editor. Mm. Um, but after a while, even there, I, I sort of moved on to a new team and was working more on the editorial and branding side. Oh, okay. So you were like on a pro you're on a product team at first with the rest of editorially. I see. Right. And then moved over. I just remember like, you know, I'd be watching product review videos on the verge and see you in the background from time <laughs> to time. Hey, I know that guy. <laughs> um, but then, uh, slate and your, um, uh, are you uh, running design there as a team there? How's that all work? Where, how do you fit? How are you fitting in over there? So um, I, I, I am the design director, and I have a handful of designers under me. Um, and most of the designers there, actually, all the designers there, are really focused on the editorial side. So they're the ones who they're they're more um, I would say like traditional graphic designers where they can illustrate, they can edit, and you know. Um, uh, do a lot with photography. Um, they they work a lot more on the editorial side of providing artwork and and voice to the stories that are being written, as well as the branding side. They do a lot of the, the logo work and podcast um, uh, covers and things like mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. um, but they're so I, I came in as design director not only to oversee them but to really figure out what to do with the interaction design side of things, which. Mm -hmm up until I had, I had come in had been um, provided by a third party. So they had hired a, an agency to design their last website and they did a lot of the development in house, but um, design was kind of, you know, where it had been when they delivered that project years ago. So I came in not only to expand the interaction design possibilities, but to, you know, figure out what design really meant to slate because, there was, mm -hmm. you know, really fantastic editorial work happening, really fantastic, you know, there, the development team had really been built out. And I feel like they had brought all of these other disciplines up to a really good level, but design was still trying to figure out its own direction. Um, so it was a really good time to come in because there was, you know, nowhere to go but up. And um, 
I really, I, I had, I had um, my work cut out for me, but it was also a really meaty project because I was interested in not only figuring out what design meant, but kind of bringing all these teams together in the way that I had at other companies, you know, as more of like a product uh, group, you know, working all together collaboratively on, on one thing uh, yeah. because everyone was, you know, it, as you'd imagine, everyone was very siloed. That's um, pretty typical in a lot of companies still. Um, when I came in the door, everyone was sort of, you know, dev was over there, art was here, and right. product product was over there. So that was an, another big thing to to do. Did you say art? Yes. So the yeah, the design team school. is the art <laughs> is the art desk. Yeah, the art department. Right. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. from my days way back. Like, well, I won't even say, but way back in, <laughs> when I started my career in um, newspapers, there was the you know there's the art department. You know, mm-hmm. the creatives over there mock something up for us, would you? <laughs> You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I like to hear that. It's funny. You just kind of slid that right in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's it. Um, I mean, Slate, Slate's been around for over two decades, which by, wow. by internet means that's that's ancient. Um, but that also kind of means that it's it sort of is more on the old media side than most publications, you know, that um, are out now nowadays. Yeah, well, founded right with the, the people founded it with the DNA of print publications exactly right? like that right and i'm sure that there's vestiges of that kind of all throughout um everything they do um it's interesting so you talk about going over there uh to a place that um it sounds like uh just hadn't prioritized design uh, very much as opposed to some of the other departments that had to be uh a change they decided to make for you to even have those conversations, right? It's not like you picked Slate and said, like, ah, you guys, you need some help. Let me tell you, right? <laughs> it's, or a little of both, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was a little bit of both. Even when I was interviewing, I I realized that, you know, if I were if I were going to take this job, I would want to do it my way and to really have a lot of say in steering the direction of not only the visuals, but our approach to doing visuals. And um in the interviews, I remember I would I would say things like, you know, very frankly, like I don't think the the website is is doing what it needs to do. It's not good. The design is not good in these ways. Here's what I would do with the logo. Here's what I think we should do with like reorganizing some of the content, the sections. And no one balked. Like they kept inviting mm-hmm. me back in for interviews, <laughs> and I, I knew that that was a good sign. They had realized where they were lacking, but they didn't know how to get to it. You know, they didn't know how to how to take the next step. So they right. needed someone to come in that understood design from a user perspective and could also, you know, cross over all of these other teams to bring everyone together. And so it's interesting as you and I will link to this. You wrote a bit uh, on Slate about the process that you went through to do this this redesign. Um, was that the intent? Like when you got there was like, all right, first, let me get my bearings. Let me get understand my team. And the, 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 I guess the political environment that I'm in, uh, but we got to get started on a, like a from scratch, like, here we go. Right. Yeah. That was, it was my intention all along. I knew, I knew we'd end up needing, you know, a, a new website and new, new visuals and kind of a new visual toolkit. But it, it like that kind of stuff is, it's not easy, but I understand that stuff really well. I've been doing that enough that I know how to either make that stuff myself or, or collaborate with others to make it. The tougher thing is what happens after you make the thing. Mm. <laughs> you, you need to make a sustainable process for iteration and for continued collaboration. That you know the, the finish line isn't launching the website. That's just the first step, really. So I, I think in that post, I, I said that this was 
a process project masquerading as a design project. And mm. I, I really believe that because a lot of people don't need, like in, inside the company, you don't necessarily need to understand that I'm putting pieces in, play, in place so that the dev team can talk to the designers and have like a really strong tie and collaboration, not only in the work that they're doing, but the tools that they're using and the meetings they're having and all that. If you want to just focus on, we're getting a new website, and that might be the most important thing for most people, that's fine. But meanwhile, I'm putting a lot of other things in place so that once we launch that website, we can continue to change it and adapt it and expand it. And when we want to launch a new thing, um, like some sort of new business initiative or, or some sort of new section, we have all those things in place that are already a good framework to build upon. That's true. That's true. Um, and there is no better way uh, with any organization to un- uh, uncover its dysfunction than to propose a redesign of a website. <laughs> I mean, honestly, right? Like, uh, and I have done this many, many times, both in the consulting career, but like even recently when I was at Adobe, um, it's interesting, like the process that we used for, and there was a bunch of different projects that we worked on, but one of them was was a transformation of adobe.com. And you can imagine, there's some stakeholders on, the, on, that, <laughs> on that website. And the process we used was almost backwards of what I had always done, which was you would, I would always propose like a bunch of ethnography and a bunch of identifying user needs and a and, and, uh, bunch of research, in-person interviews, all that kind of stuff to develop up a mental model that then like propose on top of that an architecture that ends up with a, a visual design, right? That mm-hmm. sort of layering from the bottom up. This is exactly the opposite. Literally having the CEO of the company say, just draw me a picture. And I need that as like a tool to use with the rest of my leadership team and the whole organization. And, and, and to try to visualize something very essentially done from the very beginning, uh, which changed tremendously over time. But it was this idea of like, if we show this picture, it's going to unveil or it's going to uncover all of this crazy, Mm. you know, siloed organization and uh, various levels of ownership and influence and all of that stuff. It was a, um, it, you know, it was an approach. It worked ultimately, <laughs> uh, but it was only because of tremendous air cover from the people with a true power in the organization. But I, I, I get what you're saying, right? You come in there and like, um, well, you know, we just want to make some changes to the homepage. <laughs> and all of a sudden your calendar is full uh-huh. of people like, I just need a little time with you. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. And the pe- people see it as either their, their moment to either finally get some some uh like land in in right. the in on the homepage or or something and i i think i said this in the interviews too that the homepage is like a really great manifestation of internal dysfunction because it, it's yeah. not it's not only the org chart but it's it's kind of everyone's hopes and dreams laid bare in in one space and people still put a ton of of meaning behind what's what's there and where their where their little piece of it is, and the irony there, which I think you've also talked about, is that uh, this redesign and this brand is really acknowledging just how disparate your reach is, right? Like just how everything from Instagram to Facebook and the various social medias and newsletters and podcasts and all of these entry points, you know, to the point where like. I, I consume slate content all the time, but I can't tell you how many times I really go to the homepage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm coming in, you know, I'm reading your stuff via nuzzle or all, all over the place. So, um, so it's interesting. That's an interesting aspect to kind of contemporary redesigns, isn't it? Yeah. I think that it, that's just it, that, that fragmented nature that no matter where something that you make appears, you want to have some sort of notion that it came from you. 
And you know, if it's if it's stripped down and it's in Apple News or you see it in Nuzzle or or on Twitter, like what are the small cues that you still have visually or tonally with the with the language you're using, or even just like the treatments of, of photography? What are the small little tools that you have that brand something as coming from Slate? Right. And I mean, up, before the redesign, we had very few tools. We had like a logo, we had the color maroon, and we had this little like you know word balloon notch that a gazillion other companies use too. <laughs> and part of, part of what I wanted to come out of this is having a toolkit, even if we don't use it all the time or everywhere, to just have notions of what color really means for us, what typography means, what you know different treatments of of layout and photography and all these other things mean, so that there you can almost like turn the volume up and down wherever something appears and 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 that's the thing that i think people outside of design or maybe frankly even a lot of designers themselves don't quite understand the degree to which a, a an identity is a system and the extent to which that system extends i guess is uh is in, is incredibly significant uh, yeah and and only more so nowadays you know it's it, i i feel like everything is so fragmented and there's, there's so much, there's just, everything is just so, so crowded right now that being able to stand, stand alone or at least be recognized really is like, you, you can't even put a number on that, you know, just being able to be yourself and be recognizable anywhere that you appear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you a bunch of questions about the process that you used and how you managed to change and all that kind of stuff. But before we do that, I want to take a little break and uh, introduce a new sponsor to the program. Uh, and it is a company called Zojo. That's X-O-J-O. Uh, and they are a cross-platform development tool for creating native apps for desktop, mobile, web, and even Raspberry Pi. Um, they currently support the Mac OS, Windows, Linux, iOS, and soon Android. Um, and it's interesting. They, they, uh, they are this system that you use to write just one version of an application, like, for example, on your Macintosh, and then simply check a checkbox and have a completely native Windows version as well. Um, and the, this part is really important. They use native controls, and that's like the UI widgets, like the radio buttons and text boxes and submit buttons and things like that. And they use the native ones on every platform that they support. And I think that's really important, because I remember in the uh, sort of days past when you'd have Flash applications or java applets and stuff like that and they were just like i couldn't um uh it always felt like oh i've just like i'm in some other computer all of a sudden what's going on here so uh zojo does not do that uh and also allows you to build your apps 10 times faster which saves time and money it's great for everyone newbies to professional developers and is currently used by over 300,000 developers worldwide. Uh, and that's from like students all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and if you take a look at their website at xojo.com, you will see uh, just how many companies that you know that uh, already use Zojo. I think you'll be surprised by how widely used it is, the stuff that you use every day. Um, it's free to use, but you do need a license to build standalone applications. But if you go sign up now... You can get 20% off that license by using the code presentable. And that's at uh, zojo.com, xojo.com slash presentable. Check it out, uh, buy a license, and use the code presentable when you check out. You get 20% off any of the licenses that they offer. So thanks so much to Zojo for their support of this show and for all of Relay FM. All right. Are you, are, you, about- are you able to edit stuff out? 
Why? Because <laughs> Sojo sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds really bananas. Like I, you and I, I, I know we were talking about getting together to talk about uh, like design tools again at some point. Yeah. And like th- this thing, and I don't know if you've seen the stuff that Airbnb is doing, where yeah, like the they like sketch out a design and then they like throw it to the computer and totally. the computer like codes it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff is There's just all kinds of crazy stuff. Bananas. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to edit this out. Like I think, it's, I think it's a great tool. I think there's a lot of people doing a bunch of work on this stuff, and we should do a whole. You're right. We should do a whole episode on, um, on this like design automation and design ops and stuff like that. And it's no, I so think this wild. stuff is great. Yeah. 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 Um, especially when you start to like a layer of machine learning on top of that. Oh my God. It's, uh, that's some really interesting stuff happening out there. I see yeah. some of the pitch pitches for some of these new design tools that I see in my kind of investor role. Oh, right. So, yes, dude. Super exciting. Super exciting. Um, so, uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. We were t- <laughs> talking about the redesign. Uh, the, the, here's what I have in my notes. It says Trojan horse strategy. Yeah. And oh, I love that stuff. I love it. This was always what we were trying to do with Adaptive Path and our consulting, which was like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want a big, huge project. Just this one little thing, mm-hmm. right? And which was like achievable and you could get it done. And all of a sudden people were like, whoa, my gosh, that was really powerful. We're like, yeah, let's do a medium thing now, <laughs> right? Like and just we just keep going. And it wasn't like as a way to like try to get more out of sales. I mean, that was obviously some part of it, but like this idea that you could like, we'll make a tiny change. We'll see how it goes. And then we'll like nurture and cultivate that change and see what we learn as almost a way of doing like that minimum viable product strategy that startups use, but inside an existing large organization. Yeah. So that was, that was what I kind of took from your Trojan horse strategy. Yeah. And you're, you're right on the money. It's exactly, exactly the approach I was taking because um, I knew, like, I knew from the from the beginning where we would eventually need to get to. I didn't know how we were going to do it or how long it was going to take just yet. But I proposed because you know, all right. So to back up, the, we were not only um, redesigning the website and and doing some new branding, but meanwhile, I wanted to try and bring these teams together, bring dev and product and design closer together, along with how we're already collaborating with edit and the sales team and the podcast team, plus moving off of a CMS and into a new CMS. So migration on top of all this um, and a new code base to boot. So I realized early on that we couldn't just tackle this as one monolithic thing. We needed to start somewhere small to at least get the, you know, lay the tracks in place so that people knew each other's names and we knew what it was like to work together and get some process in place. So we carved off this small piece of the site. We do cover stories once a week, which is kind of like a, a, a little bit longer of a piece. We usually invest a little bit more time and um, and money and energy into it for art and, and things like that. It's usually sort of like a, a bigger swing editorially that we do one time a week. And I, I thought, all right, let's let's like slice that off. That's a manageable timeline. We can do these once a week and we can start publishing them in the new system. We can propose like an intermediate design where we're already playing around with, you know, how we want to structure our CSS, maybe some of the fonts we want to use and and kind of just starting to test the waters a little bit. And in doing so, that allowed us to have meetings more with edit. We got to talk a lot more across those teams and actually bring people into all the conversations. Um, because I think traditionally companies like Slade and and a lot of uh, media companies, especially older ones, are run kind of like as a pyramid with editorial at the top, um, kind of proposing and dictating what what happens, you know, across the publication. Um, But that doesn't really 
like gel well when you have really fantastic designers and product people mm-hmm. and developers who are very good at their jobs and you know know how to spoke uh, scope something out know how to define what the requirements are around things and and can understand uh, you know reusability and portability of code and and how best to structure things so I part of this project was actually getting everyone together in like a a big kumbaya kind of moment to recognize everyone else as an expert in their own field and to yeah. collaborate and to not have you know you know people who I, I guess like to, to have the people who should be specking out things and doing the work doing the work and specking things out. Um, so we started off with cover stories and that was late in, uh, late in the year of, um, that was 2016 that we had started that. Um, and we started publishing those, uh, once a week and playing around with the new CMS and the new publishing workflow and the new, like, um, image workflow and all of this stuff and kind of laying the groundwork for the eventual bigger project. And it just started slowly growing from there. Um, and because exactly what you were saying, once one thing is out there and it starts to work, you're able to propose the next thing and it becomes a lot clearer what that is and, and how to structure that. Um, Mm -hmm. so we could move into, you know, not just publishing this one thing a week, but different sections of the website. And then what, what about our branding? Maybe we should bring in a branding firm and, and kind of suss all that out. And how does the design system work in this? And then let's revisit our code again. And it, like you can kind of just keep laying in brick after brick that way. Um, at least that's what we did. So that by the time you get into the bigger deal and you're ready to launch, you've actually been publishing and using this code base for you know the better part of half a year, even if not all of it is public yet. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we... Um you might recall like the, the way we did that with, uh, with Typekit, especially for more substantive changes rather than releasing new things where we would put them behind these. So what we called feature flags, right? Where you could turn on new versions or new features of the website, uh, just by giving somebody essentially the correct cookie and, um, and managing that way, turning it on for people for a while uh, with their permission, letting them use it for a while, turn it back off, doing some more work and things like that. But a similar sort of like, as opposed to the all or nothing and this is the deadline and here we go hurtling towards it and there it went right past us and oh crap, we missed it. And like, you know what I mean? Like that, it's very, it's a very different way of working. It really is. And I, and by the time that we launched, um, we had, we had deployed over a year's worth of code in less than an hour without any downtime. Like it was, it was a really uh, like unfathomably smooth launch. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that sounds a lot like the sort of internal process and internal change management and stuff like that. But how was it with your your audience? And um, and I, I'm just curious because people complain about change all the time, <laughs> right? And this is sort of a truism in the in the design world. But 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 when you sort of unpack that, right? The reality is that people really don't like feeling like they're that like they've lost control mm-hmm. or or that. Um, that the investment that they've made into a product is being squandered, right? Like I learned how to use this and this feels like they feel a sense of ownership of that, the, of that knowledge that they have learned regardless of the ownership of the product itself. Right. Um, I was just wondering like, how'd that go with this, this sort of incremental change over time. But there was a, like one day there's a new logo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it's funny. There's the, there's the internal audience of, you know, slate the company, and getting everyone on board with all of this change. Um, and it's not 
that dissimilar from the external audience because just as much as everyone outside is used to the way that we publish and the way that things look, so is everyone inside. And right. you know, shopping the logo around internally, it, it's you know, there's a there's a bit of a moment where people are are stunned. <laughs> like, are we really are we re- really doing this? We're really changing. Oh God, this is, this is a lot of stuff. Like, oh boy, everything looks different now. Um, and I I think that. It, it, it's, it's a very similar process to, to showing this to your audience. But the, I think the launch went really smoothly um, from that perspective, too. We got tons of great feedback, not only from our readers, but from other people inside our industry of just how much this feels like we were we, we had brought our design up to the level of the other things that we were doing. I think mm-hmm. of it as like when you get like a really good haircut, it just like works for you. It, it just like frames your face just so where you like pull on those like that pair of jeans that just like fits just right if it, yeah. it, it felt like this was the natural progression of like where we needed to go and what it, what we what we always sounded like but we didn't look like so um i think the fact that we didn't get a ton of negative feedback um maybe because we we did a good job of of what we set out to do it might also speak to how far we had fallen behind before this that you know, pe- people, you know, were just ready for some sort of change um, because they, you know, it, it had just, it had, I think, um, lagged behind for, for a little too long. Uh, it, it might be a combination of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And did you change the the product substantially, like the, you know, the way that you navigate through the site or uh, the, the, the content that's available or the rate at which it changes or anything? Or was it was it much more of a... Uh, like a, a change in the look and feel of an existing product. No, there was there were changes top to bottom. I think uh, <laughs> across the website, across the company, um, because if you you can still get to some parts of the old site right now because we're um, we're still migrating over different areas and you know we're uh, kind of in an in between stage on some of the 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 pages. But um, in the old site, there was a little hamburger menu with a flyout nav that. Um, I'm sure you've seen sites like this before. It was basically an entire website inside of a flyout menu where you not only had links for navigation, but you had article lists and li- lists mm. of other content being returned. And you could hover between sections and the entire navigation would change into like a, it was, it was an entire site inside of a navigation. Um, and that really, it, it was sort of that, that dysfunction that I was talking about where everything is just sort of thrown into one area um, which is awful for navigation. It's awful for information architecture, but it also speaks to a potentially convoluted structure for organizing content internally too. You know, however you publish, however stories are assigned, and ha- and how things flow in that direction as well. So, one of the big things that we did um, in this was kind of uh, consolidate everything into five different verticals, which are those five main links across the top of the um, the new site, uh, news and politics, culture, technology, business, and human interest. And that was not only a kind of moment of clarity for the company, but certainly for how we, how we organize things editorially and with the art mm-hmm. desk and how our sales team was actually able to go out and take things to market because it, it, it shows that you're refining your message, that it isn't just, Slate is a lot of everything, but it's like, let's talk specifically about our culture coverage, which is really strong and it has yeah. all of these facets. And we really wanted to make each one of those like a pillar and a destination in their own right, 
not just you know news and not just yeah. business or whatever. I really like the word refining, like almost as a as a replacement for redesign. You know, mm-hmm. as as a as a way of thinking, like we're going to try to get to the essence of what this really is and um, and celebrate that. I, I mean, even internally, I was a bit of a um, a thorn because I wouldn't call it a redesign. I was calling it the Redux process. I wanted to give it a different name so that people weren't focused on <laughs> just that we're like putting a new looking website up and that nothing else needed to change. Like we had everything right. We just needed a, a fresh coat of paint. So I, I was very conscious in framing it as, you know, yes, a website's going to come out of this process. Yes, we'll have a new logo, but we're also going to really think about our social strategy. We're really going to think about how we're taking podcasts um, to market and what those look like. We're going to think about how we're working together internally. Like it's so much more than that, but those are some of the the outputs that come of it. <laughs> I like that. I also <laughs> noticed that in uh, that you referred to yourself uh, less as leadership and more as instigator. Yes. <laughs> nice. Big like instigator that. and roadblock remover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I am interested in the fact that you used an outside firm for the branding component of this. What was what was the thinking there? Uh, so we we worked with a firm called Gretel, and they're based in New York. They have done work for um, people like Netflix. They did a, a huge brand package for Netflix a few years ago. Which, um, if you like the way that Netflix looks now, it's it's because yeah. of that. It's really sharp stuff, especially the motion design um, aspect to it. Um, we brought in a firm because. I think for a few reasons. One, we're a very small team, you know, just by our nature of having a handful of designers um, and also supporting the crazy news cycle that is still going on every day while doing this stuff. Um, it was, you know, there was a bandwidth issue of just having time to really give it the the energy and, and attention that it needed. But also right. branding, branding work is super hard. And yeah. I like I'm I've done plenty of logos, but a logo is not a, a, a brand package. Um, and same thing with with my designers. We wanted someone who could bring not only an outside perspective, but a really smart approach to a branding exercise, like really trying to get at the essence of what's what's needed most. Where are you going to get the most um, um, you know work out of the out of all the, the things that you're making and where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? Uh, so I think that we we wanted to bring in someone to not only get us out of our own little little shell, but to try to give us a good foot in the door to a good brand package, so that we could then you know extend it. We could then continue to play with it and evolve it on our own. So yeah. kind of like notions of design, different things like the the typefaces and our palette and and some of the the like hand done bits and. And some of the the different devices, the different design devices as part of the system, they would establish those and then we would run with them. Like our designers yeah. are fantastic at at just like taking something and, and continuing to explore it. So we knew that we could do almost like an MVP version of our brand package and then evolve that along with all the other design work we were doing. Right, right. Cool. I, you know, it's very interesting to me because we're going through a rebranding exercise at my employer, True Ventures. Um, their brand has been super solid for a dozen years, but there's a lot of going on, but you know, what are, what is our offering and how are we differentiating from other investors and all that kind of stuff is happening. And we decided it's kind of uh, time to be reflect, reflective and, um, and figure out perhaps new branding, new identity for the firm, uh, which I immediately jumped at like, yes, absolutely. I want to do that. And it kind of occurred to me that in the length of my career, I had never worked with an agency on a new 
design system that I have always just that you know, like the work you and I did together on Typekit. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, uh, you and your notebook filling up pages and pages of potential Typekit logos. I remember that. <laughs> I think I still have, I still have photos of those mm-hmm. around here somewhere. They're great. It's great. But um, I, I knew what that process was like because it was so embedded in a product development process for me. Right, like everything was so just like it was native. Like we're you know like we're gonna do it. Uh, a navigation system like this. And this is the way that we're going to display the content on the pages. And this is how it should bubble up into a brand and like, and starting kind of from scratch without a product. I mean, obviously we have a product, but not a digital product, you know, uh, we don't have, I don't, there's not engineers sitting around building stuff for true ventures. And then like, Oh my gosh, look, I got to figure out who does identity design and who's good and talk to them and go through a whole process. And, um, and that's been very interesting. I'm wondering what your process was like. Did you talk to a bunch of firms or were you like, no, I've wanted to work with these folks for a long time or. Yeah, I had actually wanted to work with Gretel for a while. I tried to, um, hire them in for some work, um, at a past job, uh, and the timing just didn't, didn't pan out, but I, I'd also been friends with Greg, the, um, the the founder of of true from when i was in or not true sorry <laughs> that's you of of gretel when i was in um new york uh with the aiga board uh and i just i i thought their work was just stellar um and they really their approach to branding is really refreshing um and i really like how they they see branding not only as as um kind of like a really fun exercise but they approach it as like a spectrum of of intensity in a way. So, um, there are different, different levels that you might use or different amounts of branding that you might inject into something depending on where it appears, what the effort involved is, um, and what, you know, what the medium might be. So, you know, the, the version of you on a billboard might be different is certainly going to be different than the version of you on, you know, a TV screen, versus you know and film and and on a website and and kind of being able to ratchet up the dial um depending on what what is needed in that moment is a really interesting approach to branding i think because it's not just that you have your logo and your color everywhere but like those are just smaller manifestations of what a, a, a brand system is but it's kind of like what's the personality how can you actually make something feel like you um, and like logos are shortcuts for that and they're, they're cheap shortcuts, but they work. Uh, but I think the more effective ones are, are kind of the mood and the atmospheric stuff of, mm. you know, color and line and, and layout and, and those sort of notions that, that like give you the impression of something, even if you're not reading that something. It's one of the things that I've sort of gotten my head around is that it, it would be very difficult to try to, to reimagine an identity without seeing it in context like a a website redesign has to be hand in hand with this right to to get the full sense of not just how it's going to kind of work in context but but a messaging platform that goes along with it complements it and things like that you know yeah and i think i mean what we started out with was doing lots of writing you i mean you can't i don't think you can really embark on a branding exercise without actually writing about yourself and and that's a really uncomfortable thing that it, 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 it seems like totally easy. And like, you know, you'll be done in an afternoon um, until you actually sit down to do it. And you realize like writing about yourself sucks. Designing stuff for yourself sucks. <laughs> like these are really hard things. And yeah. and it kind of holds a very uncomfortable mirror up to you that um, you might not always like what, what 
you know, you see back and we, uh, we did a, we did a research project actually, interestingly last mm-hmm. year, uh, brought in a, a couple of folks who, uh, were previously at adaptive path kind of on the service design ethnography kind of side of things who went out and, um, and conducted a bunch of interviews with entrepreneurs who had either taken money from us or who had turned us down, uh, or who had never heard of us. And they sort of synthesized, like, this is kind of what the, your customer base thinks of true right now. And, and, and compare and contrast that to what they believe is important right now. And it was just an eye open alley. I won't get into all the details. That'll, that'll become more evident when this, this brand redesign comes out. But man, what a process of having like the entire partnership sitting with these ethnographers. They're saying like, no, no, people don't think that. Like, whoa. Oh, it's great. It was, but you're right. Like it is incredibly, it's like that healthy kind of super painful. You know? Yeah. But I mean, it, on the other end of it, you're so much better off because you have a much oh, clearer yeah. idea of, you know, what the important stuff is, what's actually resonating with someone and what really represents you. It, it helps you cut through the clutter. Like we would write about ourselves and I would keep saying like, you don't want to say that you're smart. You don't want to say that you're cool. Like there are things that you want other people to say about you, but you would never want to say about yourself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's yeah. How do you show and not tell yep. and just all of that stuff for sure. Absolutely. For sure. It's, this is got, it's gotta be a little tricky. I would imagine in the process of working as a designer with a design agency. And I was always like in the pitches and, you know, the meetings I would have with everybody. I'm like, there's a designer hiring designers and that's gotta be, you know, like a doctor going to the doctor or something. Like it's just gotta be a, uh, a bit of a, uh, a challenge in it, just in the relationship and letting go and letting them be free to do their work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, I, I, I think the, the relationship we had with Gretel was really, really good. And I feel like we got good work out of it and, and the relationship was, was solid. Um, I hope that, I hope they think the same. Um, but I, from ah, the, this week on the podcast, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I mean, from the, from the outset, I was very clear about what our expectations were and that even though we had designers in the room from our side that we weren't go, we didn't want to get it, you know, too deep involved in, you know, specific nuance because this was going to be a baton that they handed to us, not a completely, yeah. you know, tied up package that is perfect and and you know we we won't be changing um so we were really clear early on that we wanted a like a starting point for you know a toolkit and and all these other notions so that then we could extend them and and move beyond them um so i think i'm really happy with what where we ended up um and i i hope they are too but it seemed like we had a we had a good understanding from from the get-go that um they they were going to be sort of a, a starting point yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's great. We couldn't finish here without talking about the fonts that you used. Yes, typography. Yeah, of course. You used Retina from Tobias. I'm very pleased with that. I love that font. Man, am I happy with that? Um, Retina was one of the ones that we we had picked out when we did that smaller cover stories initiative um, beforehand, and we were using not only the the book, but we were using some condensed weights too. And I just I loved it. Man, it's a really legible typeface, and this was. A bit different for me. I'm almost always going to choose like a serif for running text. Um, so this was a, a little bit outside of my my typical comfort zone. Um, but it just it feels like us. It's it's very legible. It's very like um, nuanced in in how each of the letters just feels like the most perfect version of itself. Um, and th- and that was that was sort of the design brief that that Tobias uh, went through when he was making this. It was originally developed for the um, 
the Wall Street Journal for stock listings. Um, oh, yeah, and, that's right. And one yeah. of the features of of a different um, part of the family is that you can um, I forget what the the word is, but you can change the weight, the like boldness of the typeface, um, but it doesn't take up any additional space or any less space. Um, which is really handy when you think about putting stock quotes into a newspaper and not wanting lines to wrap, but maybe wanting yeah. to highlight one as bold. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's a really like interesting technical achievement of a typeface, but I, I find it just really beautiful um, to read. It's just a just a joy. And the, and the other typeface we're using is called Register. It's the um, the serif. Um, we're only using it in this really heavy weight for for headlines and sort of display type. Um, which I think also is a is a really nice pairing with with Retina. It just has a good good personality. It has some really good forms to it, and I love the yeah. the beefiness. That it's got a almost a, just a tiny hint of like Cooper Black to it. Yeah, you know what I mean? right. I like that. It's super cool. <laughs> which is uh, you know kind of coming back around in this sort of seventies uh, revival in, in sort of way. But I, I think it's a incredibly like a workhorse of a font there as a as a headline, uh, but also has this like this hint of retro to it. It's cool. Yeah, I love it. And that and that's paired with, you know, we do we're trying to do a little bit more of these like hand done bits um in, you know, lettering and just in little details around. So those three things kind of circling one another from a typographic perspective, I think are working really well. Yeah. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Um let's see. Uh I wanna I wanna link off to some of your other stuff as well, so people get a get a sense of your work. Uh you've done a course for Skillshare, I noticed uh a few months ago. Uh, fundamentals of web typography. Um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, it's sort of an adapted version of some of the concepts from uh, my book uh, on web typography. That's, uh, I think, kind of like an approachable guide to using type and to choosing typefaces. I, I, no matter how many times I have conversations about typography, people are always asking, like, how do you even choose a typeface? You know, mm-hmm. they all look, either they all look the same, or I can't tell like what good looks like versus bad. And, and I, I try to get at some of those concepts to, to give people an idea of, you know, what, what, what does quality look like? And what are some of the interesting features of typefaces? What, what are some of the forms that you're seeing in front of you from not only serifs and sans serifs, but um, kind of like simple, simple bits that you can, or, or simple tricks that you can use to, to kind of like choose something um, and make some good choices. That's great. I, um, and I probably made this analogy last time we talked, but I, I always, I always tend to frame it up for people who don't know that much about typography as, as like comparing it to choosing wine, you know, like there's so many out there. They all seem the kind of the same people are very confused and frankly, kind of anxious. Like I'm going to make <laughs> the wrong choice. I'm going to look silly or, you know, whatever. Um, it also kind of explains like, with the thousands of typefaces out there, why, why more keep coming, you know? Um, and he said like, well, why do we keep making more wines? Yeah. It's just, there's endless variety and context and use cases and stuff like that. So, uh, so cool. I will, uh, I will put a link in the show notes to your Skillshare, uh, tutorials and, uh, and to the book on web typography from a book apart. And your website at jasonmariachi.com. <laughs> the very same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You better go register that right oh, away. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's always such a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming back on the show. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen, and this was Presentable. Presentable.